the best of the week on Relevant Radio. Father Peter Arminio is our spiritual director today. We're talking about Eucharist and devotion to the Eucharist. Are you devoted to the Eucharist? Do you receive the Eucharist frequently? Do you make regular visits to the Blessed Sacrament? Do you make holy hours regularly? We find ourselves in the midst of a Eucharistic revival. We've got a Eucharistic Congress coming up this summer. And we are given the Eucharist. We are nourished by the Eucharist in order to become Christ-sent ones, right? To take that life and life and love out into the world today. Absolutely. And it's kind of interesting in the Eucharistic discourse, it's the longest one. The Lord says, you know, he who believes in me, believe is not just an intellectual endeavor. Matter of fact, that's the least of the act of faith is living it. And it's charity that imbues and inspires faith. He who believes in me shall never hunger. He who searches for me shall never thirst. And then he says, I need this for my own fulfillment, my own strength, my own perseverance and fidelity. So that's a personal effect it has. But then twice, he says, I am the bread that has come down from heaven to give life to the world. What does that exactly mean? The obvious is, well, it's always better to have the tabernacle with our Lord than not. But I don't think he means that. You know, there was no tabernacles in those days, and there wouldn't be any tabernacles for almost a thousand years, I think. The person who receives the Eucharist with faith and devotion, faith doesn't mean just academic acceptance of the true presence. Faith means trying to be holy. It's accepting everything the Lord says and trying to put it into practice. And so there's a lot of impact, there's a lot of depth in he who receives brings life to the world because the the, the holy person becomes a light of the world. Mm -hmm. And because he is reflecting the light of Christ and the love of Christ, he or she is allowing Christ to transform others through that disciple, you know, bolstered by the Eucharist. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously there's a long history of devotion to our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, and that is taking place and has been expressed in numerous ways, um, and, you know, not least of which is our upcoming National Eucharistic Congress. But the saints of old, I mean, we we have histories of saints having all sorts of Eucharistic devotion too, don't we? We do. I remember going through uh, some old papers, and and there was a you know very simple book on the lives of the saints for I would say ten year old kids. You know, pictures and easy writing. Anyway, it sparked my curiosity, so I leafed through the whole thing. Sure. And I noticed a pattern from the fifteenth century hmm. to the present. Every saint was devoted to the Eucharist, Mm. and truth be told, in the Blessed Mother. Very diverse. I'm thinking about Martin de Porres, spent hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament. St. Catherine Siena had a powerful influence on the Church and the history of the Church. The Eucharist was front and center of her life. Uh, This modern saint, or blessed, uh, I hope he's canonized, uh, Carlo Acutis, you know, mm-hmm. a computer whiz, a regular yeah. kid, a high school kid, parents agnostics, on and, on. and he's literally influencing the world, you know, by his, and what's behind it. Well, the whole Eucharist. And I noted, I remember a caption, maybe you saw it as well, Patrick. There's a caption with, you know, a younger image or photo of St. John Paul, and underneath the caption there's a large host, uh, or maybe even a monstrance. And then underneath the monstrance, there is a caption, a quotation from John Paul, this little wafer 
can change the entire world. Hmm. And seeing that makes an impact, at least on me, because I was a seminarian when he was a young pope. And I experienced it because he dealt with a lot of young people. I was a young person then. And he would draw hundreds of thousands. And on World Youth Day, he'd draw millions. Mm -hmm. And so when he says that, I mean, again, you don't have to make an act of faith because it's that Eucharistic devotion. And I remember living in Rome when he first, you know, the first years, some people were more uh, attuned to what was going on than others. And I had an American friend in the North American College. And he said, um, hey, you know, they couldn't find the Holy Father last week. As it was out, you know, out to dinner. No, no, no. They won't let him out. Well, they couldn't <laughs> find him in his room. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, and uh, <laughs> he said it was one thirty in the morning. Ooh. And they were looking all over the place. And they said, well, where, where can he be? He should be, you know, in his room or in bed, you know. And they saw a light, you know, underneath the, the door of the chapel. So they opened it up and he's prostrate on the floor huh. in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. And he's kind of pulling an all-nighter. And I don't know how often he did this, but then when he was in Germany a number of years later to canonize Edith Stein, who's now St. Teresa Benedict of the Holy Cross, Mm -hmm. you know, these good German nuns wanted the cathedral in Cologne or uh, to be, you know, squeaky clean. And they were vacuuming and they wanted to vacuum. I don't know, let's just say, you know, simplicity's sake, you know, 8.30 in the evening. But there he was kneeling down. So they come later, you know, at around 11.30 p.m., mm-hmm. and he's in the sanctuary prostrate for the Blessed Sacrament. Wow. I'm not saying we should do that, you know, without, you know, if we don't have a mystical, preternatural grace, you know, let's do the ordinary. The ordinary is extraordinary enough, but that was his <laughs> deal. <laughs> I like and, that. I, and, and lastly with him, I was, in 1993, I was a World Youth Day director in Denver, Mm. and he lived in the cathedral rectory, and so I got a chance to get to know, I wasn't living there, but, you know, the business manager there. Mm. So after World Youth Day was over, I said, well, listen, you know, share some of your conversations you had with uh, the Pope. And he said, I don't mean to disappoint you, but I didn't have many. Um, I go, come on, you were there. Yeah. He said when he was finished with his speeches or his homilies or addresses, he would be in the the rectory chapel Hmm. or he would be in the church. And he said being in the church was a pain because you had to call security. But virtually he was praying the whole time and after spending hours in prayer, went to bed. Wow. Uh, So I'm not saying, okay, when you start addressing hundreds of millions of people, uh, something's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, something there. That's, that's yeah, definitely true. But you know what? I, it has been said that Saint Thomas Aquinas himself that uh, sometimes he would kind of steal into the chapel and he would go to the tabernacle. He'd rest his head against he the would. tabernacle. Yeah, he would. Which that that too just kind of wow. So I mean, what a what a fantastic opportunity. I mean, it's interesting to me, too, you're talking about St. John Paul II drawing thousands, millions of, of people to see him, and yes. yet he gives it all over to the Lord. The, we're, you know, glory yes. where glory is due, right? Glory of the Lord. Right. And, yeah. and you yeah. know, with our American mentality, you'd figure, hey, listen, you're the busiest man in the world. Hmm. What are you doing spending hours like that? Yeah. Well, 
It worked. Yeah, we're well. Americans were pretty practical. It worked. <laughs> yeah, pragmatically speaking, if nothing else, that's it's good. Like what you just heard? Share it with your family and friends. And thanks for listening.